0: This is It Just Takes One, one person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show.
1: Life is so strange with its twists and turns as every one of us will someday learn and many a person turns about when they might have won had they just stuck, stuck it out.
0: curious how many of you grew up in the 1980s doing aerobics <laughs> if you're like me you're having a bit of a flashback right now to leotards and leg warmers <laughs> well my guest today is Kirk Lawrence Kirk had an extraordinary career that landed him right in the middle of the aerobics era Kirk is also a recent best-selling author and his book is Zero's Heroes The Incredible True Story of What Happens When You Don't Quit. Kirk had an extraordinary journey in his career, meeting many accomplished people, and he calls them his heroes. We're going to learn about some of those people. We're going to learn about what happened along the way. And so I invite you to sit back and listen in as Kirk Lawrence shares his story. hello it's so nice to have you on it just takes one welcome
1: oh it is so great to be here with you kelly we we haven't uh done a lot of zoom meetings usually just you know the old fashioned phone was comfortable for me but this is this is better
0: i agree i was actually thinking the same thing when we got on and i was able to see your san francisco bridge in the background and i thought oh you know it's a perfect setting for you we'll talk about that as we get into the into the conversation but um, it was just so nice to be able to see you face to face.
1: Indeed. Indeed it is, Kelly. This is really great. I wish I wish Greg was with us, but I'm sure another time.
0: I agree. And he's with us in spirit. Greg's always with us in spirit, right? He's uh, out doing his thing in the world, but um, he'll enjoy listening to this once we get it done as well. Kirk, it's been only a few months since we met and we met because you wanted to write a book and put your life story into something. It actually had took a few twists and turns before it became the book that it is today. We can share some of that. But before we get into talking about the book, let's just start with just a little introduction of how you and I actually met and how we are connected through our mutual friend and mentor, Todd Durkin.
1: Well, let's do that. Years back, I lived uh, about in 2015, I moved to San Diego from Indianapolis to San Diego. I had sold a health club and for a little while, I just wanted to uh, transfer with the company I worked for, FedEx, and live in San Diego. I had a beautiful place in Mission Valley, really a great experience that I had kind of longed for. And, And it was a break from the health club and the rigors of the fitness business and all. So uh I went to an idea convention and saw Peter and Kathy Davis, who are old, dear friends. I was a keynote in like the second or third idea convention. <laughs> if you want to be dated, then that's how you date yourself. Because <laughs> that's we're talking 1985, 1986, 1988. <laughs> and idea was just a young, budding company. But Peter and Kathy had the vision, Kelly, that they they were going to take it around the world. And, and I, I just love that couple. I just love that couple dearly. And so when I saw them at the Idea Convention, I was like, hey, Peter, Kathy, what's shaking? Kathy, who's hot? And the first word that came out of her mouth was Todd Durkin. You'll like him, Kirk." So I go see this, this, this young man, Todd Durkin, quite a speaker. But he was much more than that. And I was really taken aback by uh, uh, how much impact he had on me. And I didn't know it, but that was just the beginning. I lived in San Diego, and it was about a year later when I finally kind of got it together to go to his gym to say I want to join a gym. And if there's any gym I'm going to, why not Fitness Quest Ten? Mm-hmm. So, and I would just love to share with your people how how wonderful that gym is. But in any case, so I go to the gym and join, and meet Todd, and he's so affable and friendly. He he asked me about my background and we, I shared, you know, idea and Peter and Kathy and a little bit of what I had done in the business. I'd been in TV in the fitness business and uh, done some personal training in the NFL, but years, years back when there were dinosaurs roaming the earth. (laughs) So, but Todd kind of liked that and and go and listening to him speak at at the various functions at Fitness Quest 10. The thing that he said was, you know, if you think you have a life worth sharing, share it basically. And I was, I was stupefied. It got me thinking and I was working part-time for FedEx. And I was also truth be told, working in San Diego as an Uber driver.
0: Okay?
1: And it was a remarkable experience. I got to talk with people from around the world. And sometimes you'd have long drives and you'd share experiences and these stories, a couple stories that I had about the NFL and uh, morning stretch television, kind of life in the 80s, it really had an Im- Im- impact on people. And they would say things like, ah, oh, you should write a book, you should make a movie, and all that kind of stuff that perhaps we've all heard. But combine that with some of Todd's encouragement, it, it got me off the stump. I never started writing, though, until the beginning of the pandemic. So, yeah. So off the stump.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think the the pandemic did actually give people an opportunity to slow down a little bit and, and maybe just start thinking about some of the dreams that they had, uh, like, like you, you know, maybe a dream Absolutely. of sharing your story and being able to tell some of these things. Yeah. From the first time that I met you on, on the phone, met you on the phone call, Uh, Kirk, it was certainly apparent that you have a lifelong experience from the fitness industry and Mm -hmm. you're kind of mentioned it just a little bit there. I'd love to go back and share with the listeners a little bit more about what was going on in the eighties, because if we think about what fitness is now, it was not that back then. And you were really on the cutting edge in the in the the beginning of what now would become it has become more of a a, a functional movement training world. Wasn't like that then. So share just a little bit, what was it like to begin training in any capacity back in the 1980s?
1: Gosh, what a great question. Okay. Well, my background was heavy martial arts. I had done a Chinese Kenpo style which had really been enlightening to me. It had sort of changed my life and given me hope for the future. I started as a teenager at about 16, way back, that's early 70s. But So I had some of that experience, both in um, martial arts and in a lot of dance and actor and ballet, meditation, yoga. I was an actor in training at the American Conservatory Theater. I gave a lousy demo that was laughable but I gave a great tempo demonstration when they were about to send me out. They said, is there anything else that you do that is special or you have a passion for? I said, Oh baby, I'd love to show you Chinese tempo. So ba 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 Bob, I did all this stuff and they gave me a 50% scholarship. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even, it was $2,000 for a summer back in the seventies, 1978. I couldn't have enjoyed it. I couldn't have done it without that kind of luck financially. And, uh, So that's what I had going into the 80s, some martial arts and some some movement experience, kind of an eastern western approach. And I. I met a uh, an athlete, I was coaching a ski team for free just to have the experience, Kelly, of coaching a team Mm -hmm. I'd been asked. I was teaching a karate class in a racquetball uh, court, and one of the students was the condition was the uh, head coach. Of a water ski team, he asked me if I would condition the Marine World Africa USA skiers on the ski show. Some of them were competitive, some of them were just um, great performers. And so I started doing this. It was really fun. I kind of had my Eastern days, my Western days for training, like Eastern style, like uh, like uh, like Wing Chun and uh, this energy practice that you do, and and uh, yoga meditating one nostril breathing stuff that was just like so weird back in the eighties. But that was, that was the Eastern days. And then the Western days were cam Two training and Nautilus training and something more conventional for us, you know, warm up, cool down, stretch out that kind of thing. So that's what I was doing. And I, and somebody was watching one of the players on the 49ers had just finished their season and, and had just turned 30 the day before I met him. I didn't know that for 35 years. I only found that out recently. But he had just turned thirty. His name was Charlie Young, and I—he uh, introduced himself and asked me if I would train him, if I would train him in these breathing exercises, these stretching exercises, and all the ab work and core work that we were doing. And and um, I was excited. I just remember going home in a trance. I remember this guy looked like a freight train, and and he wants something that I know. It it was it was a trip to borrow a phrase from the 80s. It was trippy <laughs> and uh but fun. And we got started. We got started the next week. We started working five days a week, Monday through Friday, about six AM every day. And and he reported good results and reported those results to other players on the team and the head coach Bill Walsh. And it started taking on a little bit of life of its own. And it was really exciting, Kelly for me as a San Franciscan, as a kind of a kid with maybe a little bit of a tough past, a a divorced family and all those things, some of the heartache that comes from divorce and separation, seeing all that angst and all that fighting and all that hatred. Uh, This was a new world for me, and I, I just tried to make the most of it.
0: Yeah, really, it's one example of many very special moments that happened because you happened to be a person who was open to experience and was willing to just absorb everything that was coming your way. But you bring up Charlie, who is a person who has been a really important part of your life, and oh. was actually where we thought the book was going to go. When we when we first started talking, we thought it was going to be just about Charlie. But then, oh, I,
1: that's what I wanted. Yeah, I right. Exactly. Really kind of a, a dude, sort of a dude to dude love story of the 80s and sports and all that. And just a little guy with a another guy that was just so big and strong, but I could drive him and he'd let me drive him and work him hard and all these things. And it went so far beyond stretching as I watched him over the months and then watched him with the other players practicing and then watching in a mini camp. It was so dramatic. What a sport, obviously, that someone like Todd Durkin has taken. And he's just taken to a level that That is hard to comprehend. It's so remarkable in his success with athletes from many, many sports. But this was 41 years ago. And I've never heard of a personal trainer working with a football team uh, in the early 80s. So maybe so, but I just felt lucky. It really
0: wasn't a thing then. It's so normal now. And they have multiple trainers and conditioners and all kinds of things now. But then... But also, Kirk. On top of that, not only that you were sort of cutting edge with training, but the way you were training, because you were blending this Eastern-Western philosophy into your training. And yes. I, share a little bit about how you did that with Charlie.
1: Well, I I always felt there is a martial art called Wing Chun. The it was developed by a woman, a woman named Yim Wing Chun, who felt that all the the styles of the, karate or kung fu or whatever she saw hundreds of years ago looked too masculine it was four men she wanted a better way isn't that cool mm-hmm. <laughs> innovation way back when so right. she does she developed a smoother it looks at first glance like a smoother softer style but the person who made wing chung famous was bruce lee he evolved this thing of wing chung into this jeet kune do Modern, it is the forerunner to the modern martial arts, a total martial arts system. And in any case, it was, it was this belief in Wing Chun and the way that you use energy in Wing Chun. I thought Charlie needs this; he's on the line. People are coming at him; they want to, they want to cut his legs, they want to knock him down, they want to ruin his day. Right. So, just by teaching Wing Chun, which is this two-person hand play, it's kind of a Your it's uh, your forearms are brains and your forearms will tell you where, how to react, how to respond to be defensive or offensive. Mm -hmm. And so we did this as part of our workout. And he he liked it. Charlie liked it. He could see the practicality and functionality in football. And he was a tremendous tight end that year. And he was a tremendous blocking tight end for their running game as well. And these were things that he seemed to, he was giving me lots of feedback that he, yeah, he could do better this year. And I was extremely excited. Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely. I mean, it's always makes me
1: excited now, Kelly. I I was so excited when the season started, they lose their first game. They win their second game. They lose their third game. We're thinking, Oh my gosh, Charlie would come over every Tuesday morning during the season we wouldn't train except for tuesday mornings and we do kind of a dynamic flexibility and stretching we wouldn't do the sprints we wouldn't do the mountain that was off season only but uh but the conversations were just fantastic and to watch him i wish if i only would have had the vision to tape those conversations or something you know to have those as he grew as a as a man and a leader from the beginning of the season and before the beginning of the season when i saw remarkable leadership skills from this person that that I was training Charlie young I happened to watch him interact with so many other players I was I was just taken aback at his remarkable leadership skills and uh, Charlie told Bill Walsh about me I get a phone call from Bill Walsh. It was Charlie's leadership that that helped me especially at that stage in my life.
0: Hmm. Well, you worked together. You actually had an opportunity to reconnect with Charlie recently. Share a little bit about what that was like.
1: Well, my wife and I flew down to Austin and got to see Charlie. Charlie, we were vaccinated. Charlie was not. He was not vaccinated. So it was, we were, you know, really careful and protective in our meeting. But we just wanted, I wanted to share with him that lo and behold, after years and years, for Charlie and I, it had been 30 years since we had we had just fallen out of with one move too many we had fallen out of touch I really just didn't have a step anymore I would try to reach the him through the Seattle Seahawks and just didn't have any luck so but we we got lucky Diana and I went down and saw him and it was a great experience I just love the man Mm -hmm. and uh and we'll see where this goes I I have dreams ahead for zeros heroes and I I think it has, you know, possibilities to to uh, do some special things. I'd like to see it in some other platforms and medium. And if that's the case, I'd sure like to use Charlie and other players on the team for their uh, their support and all their input. You know, yeah. this, this is like old-fashioned 49er talk.
0: <laughs> well, I'm a Bills fan, but I will always be happy to talk about the old-fashioned Bills as well. So,
1: <laughs> Oh, really- my God, the Bills. They're like one of the. They're the, They're one of the sexy teams in the league now. I know you've got it. Oh my. Coming
0: back here, right? I know. Oh,
1: with Josh Allen. Oh my gosh, nightmares. Night. We have now. I'm a. I'm still a 49er fan. He gives me nightmares. <laughs> He's so good.
0: I almost feel badly. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> but I will share. Let's talk about because you 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 brought up the book, and I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the book Zero's Heroes. And I want to talk about the title. Because we're talking about how you've, you know, met Peter and Kathy Davis and Todd Durkin and Charlie Young. And you've right. you've been in, in sort of the upper echelon of the fitness industry, but life didn't start that way for you. So share about the title, Zeros Heroes, and right. why that title?
1: Well, at certain points in my life especially when I was young, I felt as valuable as a, just a speck, a zero. I felt like a zero. I wonder how many others listening have had that where they just didn't feel their worth. And I used heroes to help me each, along each step of the way. First, it was my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, My next door neighbor, Danny Svetanich, he loves sports. Uh, We just played sports. We just put on one, two or three sweatshirts. It didn't matter. Daily City was really a cold, foggy place. We would go outside and play, play all day until you heard the bell, Mm -hmm. come in, get something to eat, split. You know, it was just that kind of wonderful childhood. But my parents uh, split up when I was about nine and it just got really dark. It was a it was just one of those divorces that got really mean, mean-spirited. The kids were involved. The courts were involved. Judges were involved. Judges' chambers were involved. Things that a child, 8, 10, 12, 14, you really don't belong there. You really don't belong there. And and, and uh, you don't want to be there. I didn't. And, and often it would be uh, almost uh, with the, with the prodding of one attorney from one side or the other, you know, you try to make one parent look better than the other and things like that are just really just, just, just not, not a uh, healthy situation. So, uh, so that's why I had a low self-worth and uh, my relationship with my father, who was my greatest hero and greatest mentor, went so downhill that I only saw in him uh, his wanting to Uh, be violent and my concern for that my concern because you can't win a a fight with your father at least that was my approach and uh and in fact it led to the point where I ended up deciding to run away from home when I was 17 because it was either fight or flight and it was that way all the time and I chose flight instead Mm -hmm. of fight we had already had blows and those things but uh it, it, it uh, you know, where was it going to go? And so I, I wanted to go out on Halloween, take my my uh, girlfriend at that time out for Halloween. And he said no, that there I had a six o'clock curfew and I disobeyed him and didn't come home and ran away. Mm-hmm. I ran away. I, I used a friend to help me. And he, he uh, my friend Wally drove me down to Poplar Avenue in San Mateo and I stuck my thumb out and left.
0: And then
1: what happened? uh Well, I made it about sixty miles the first day. Uh, I expected to go three hundred. In fact, I can't say I really had a plan. I didn't. I I didn't have any plan. So, so late that night, I, I hadn't gotten far, and I decided I got to stop. I got to. I, I, I just can't stay out all night. It's not safe. So I. I got my last ride and this this guy picks me up and asked me how far, you know, where was I going? I was, I mentioned, I was going to Santa Barbara. I wanted to see my brother in Santa Barbara. And he said he was going about 10 miles down the road, but you know, man, it's late. You need a place to stay, man. All that kind of thing. This is, uh, this is 19 November uh, 1st of 1973. And, uh, and I, i and i thanked him and i said yes i could use a place to stay and it's it's uh still hard to think back on this but anyway I, he gave me this little room i had this little room it was clean and bare but it had a bed a pillow and a blanket on it it was really and i went to sleep i thanked him locked the door and went to sleep and he said he was going to leave he had to leave so there was nobody in the house and i just remember being very nervous really scared i was scared and uh and trying to breathe i was trying to breathe to control myself and i went to sleep i fell asleep with my karate gi as right next to me and i had all my clothes on my shoes and all stuff kept on and he came and he came about well, maybe four or five in the morning, he knocked down the door. He was angry. Maybe he was drunk or on drugs. And he came right at me and I crouched. When the I heard the noise, I had time to crouch, kept my eyes open, and I hit him in his neck. I hit him. I struck him. I attacked him when he tried to attack me. I tried to defend myself. And that's what I did. And I got myself and I ran. I just I just ran for a long time, mm-hmm. ran out of there <laughs> screaming. It was a, just a kind of an out of control situation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, Kirk, you wrote about that in the book, but I'm really glad you just shared that now because to hear you speak, it is even more powerful than, than mm. reading it. Um, it is because you're reliving the emotion. Of I it. do.
1: <laughs> I do. Yeah. It's that's as uh that's as tough as it got, but that's really tough. I've, I've sh- shared this story with many students. Uh, later in my life, I had the good fortune to work for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wrote a national fitness program with my ex-wife. And it was called Raising Youth Fitness. And thanks to Arnold, allowed me to speak to hundreds of students all over the country, often on a daily basis. And I would bring up this story. and uh, And I'm... And it got a tremendous reaction from people because so many boys and girls, you know, have this kind of experience. And I sure hope I could help them somehow.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree. And I think, you know, even thinking back, because we're we're still talking 70s here when hitchhiking was still a thing. You know, people didn't did. <laughs> do that now. Oh, oh they we're appropriately afraid, I suppose. But back then right. that's what You know that's how you got from one place to another. You you hitchhike. So it isn't even that part that was the shocking piece. It's just that you don't expect to be in a situation like that, right? You're just trying to find your way. I didn't.
1: I didn't. I don't know what I was thinking. If I if anybody would have provided any kind of discussion, or if I would have had that chance, I probably would have talked myself out of it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was. I was determined, I think, to teach my father a lesson. That's mm-hmm. what it was. I was determined to uh I was so frustrated and angry, Kelly. I wanted to bring him, this powerful person, to his knees in a way. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was just really hurt and angry.
0: Yeah, absolutely and, you, hurt, and angry a
1: young person.
0: You, you act out in the only way you know how. Your yep. goal, however, the, the the little bit of a plan that you had was to get to your brother's. And I'd love to share just a little bit about your brother, Jim. Um, mm-hmm. So you ended up yep. getting there and, and share a oh, little bit yeah. more of the story.
1: Oh, it was so great to see Jim and him drive up in Santa Barbara when I was finally able to call him and wait a little bit. And he comes over and picks me up and I'm able to share my recent experiences and how harrowing I thought that was and how lucky I felt I was. and. uh and frankly, I was thankful that I knew any karate, just enough to just to survive that. And I never would have run away. You know, it, I, I, maybe I was too confident, Kelly. And in any other situation, I might not have been as successful and I just might have been a statistic. But anyway, I was really happy to see my brother. I just love that guy so much. He was, uh, he was a psychology major at UCSB. He lived uh, about two blocks from the beach in Isla Vista, which is this really cool hippie Hippie town because it was the 70s. And uh, it was just a great experience. He was so helpful and an ultimate older brother. Uh, the police came once and uh, went through the house, and my brother hid me. And he just protected me and sheltered me. And, and uh, just a great guy. Just a great guy. And later, uh, uh, after I came back, returned, graduated from high school, kind of got going again. Uh, I was uh, 20. I was working uh, for the postal service. I was working midnight to eight. This isn't even in the story. I didn't, I didn't, I thought it would bore people if I told them I worked midnight to eight uh, (laughs) for for years uh, between the ages of about 20 and 21. But my brother came over to see me. He asked to borrow my luggage. And so him and I, we just chatted it up for a half hour and shot the bull like we always do, caught up on news, weather and sports. And then he, Jim was gone. He took my luggage. Hey, see you, bro. And he left. And the next day he uh, went with my black belt buddy, Dennis Leung and another Burlingame game friend, Chris Taylor. And they went on a plane flight to uh, Santa Barbara. And when they left the Santa Barbara channel, they must've had a mechanical error or a pilot error and they crashed and uh, uh, were killed. They were they crashed and were killed about 11 miles out in the Santa Barbara Channel. We did not find out exactly what had happened for about 16 months, hmm. uh, because a commercial fishing uh, operation dredged up most of the plane and they had the parts. So that's how we found out. Hmm. And that was that day sucked too. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. That was really another low point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, your relationship with Jim obviously was was pivotal in your life. It was something that was a really important relationship. And to lose him at such an early age by such a tragedy certainly had an impact on your life. How do you think sure. you absorbed that? How did you process that?
1: Oh, uh, I'm sure I struggled for some time. Uh, he passed away in 76. We found out in 77 that it was sure he was gone. So, uh, that was, um, I continued working at the postal service. I started getting during the time that my brother was missing. My mom recommended, she saw me exhausted working graveyard at the postal service. And, uh, while most of my friends were in college going for bigger and better things. So she recommended, why don't you try modeling her? You know, you got a good smile, Kirk. Why don't you try modeling? Well, Mom, I'm only five eight. Don't don't you have to be six feet tall? <laughs> nah, they'll always pick somebody short too. And based on that, you know, heavyweight advice, I went went to a grime agency in San Francisco, took modeling photos, you know, paid to go to a little modeling class for a month, and all that, and then you have a business card, a Z card of photos, and started getting uh chances to work and you know getting no for this reason and that reason then you start getting some jobs kelly you start getting some jobs and you you start to feel like more than a zero you start getting work people that was really a direct way to say you know uh you're the right one for the job when they pick you instead of 20 other people that's like i don't know hey wow look i can't believe i got this gig sort of thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that was a uh, that was helpful i needed it it gave me confidence to leave the postal service with other friends of my brothers that I was still in touch with. Some of them were in the restaurant business. I started working as a waiter, left the, uh, worked as a waiter. It allowed me to train in boxing. I was a black belt in karate at that point. I was teaching and I was starting to personal train. In 1979, I got my first client. He was a neurosurgeon named Dr. Paul Pitlick. He's, he's now you can Google the dude. He's, he's just an internationally known great guy. But I knew him when he was a young bachelor, you know, trying to get in shape and then him meeting a woman and then them romancing and then helping him. And then they finally got married. And that's when I got boot because he <laughs> let me he let me train other people out of his garage. I didn't have a place to train anybody. I used his garage to train him. And then he let me train other people in his garage <laughs> wow. Amazing. Uh, that's Amazing. that's
0: how, your that's... life i think that's part of the intrigue of your life kirk is that these these connections just kept happening you know just out of the blue like suddenly he, this person was here and then you could train people out of their garage and then the next thing you know you're asked to train this water ski team and then charlie well wow. these dots just kept connecting
1: Just like you, Kelly, and I'm sure Greg and Todd and so many of our listeners, I was just, I was teaching a karate self-defense class in another racket club, just in the gym floor. And I had a kind of a little school going and Paul, Dr. Pitlick, my first client, still love the guy. He, he just comes to me afterwards. He goes, you know, I'm a neurosurgeon. I can't come to very many of these classes. Is there a way I could get this training, you know? I'm a young guy who was like in his late 20s, and uh, he usually trained in his scrubs. And what I learned is he he hired me for self defense, but what he really wanted was conditioning. What he really liked and enjoyed, and what I found I loved more than teaching self defense, Kelly, was all the conditioning. The preparation was the was so fun, you know. And basically, so what I taught him was circuits it was a bunch of circuits it was circuits of a little boxing and a little fitness and a little boxing you know we had mitts and a kicking shield and um and some you know jump ropes and you know stuff like that yeah got fun. started fun that
0: be- was fun. fun way to begin and then and, and could still use those today yes so true up with charlie for a while but that was not the end of your journey that was really just the beginning of your journey in terms of where your fitness took you um you mentioned earlier just briefly that you ended up on morning stretch on tv
1: oh yeah
0: those of us that were (laughs) anybody that was in the 80s that was somebody was
1: probably changing your diapers for crying out loud there (laughs) and other folks listening
0: (laughs) i remember it absolutely remember it and you know the the advent really kirk right of of having fitness on tv
1: right oh my gosh absolutely true because the only person that had really done it successfully prior to the woman i met joni greggins uh what had been jack And even by that point in the early 80s, Jack, God love him. And thanks to Joni Greggans, I actually got to meet Jack Lane in the green room of the Today Show in New York City when Joni was doing a book tour in 1985. Because Joni was on with Jack and another lady, forgive me, from another show that featured kind of younger gals and a lot of flying hair and stuff. We, you know, we'd watch all the fitness shows because we were in the business. You know, we were a network syndicated TV show, uh, but but can I can I just interject one thing that I think you'll get a kick out of?
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda is the woman. You know, what was fitness like in the eighties? Well, it was kind of stodgy and old fashioned until Jane Fonda came along in nineteen eighty one, and when she released a video, it changed everything. Not not only primarily for women, but it was a bona fide sort of urban conditioning program that you could do, you know, inside in a new type of gym, whether it was a dance studio or whatever. All I knew was in 1981, I was listening to the same music at the 49er training headquarters as I was listening to Jane Fonda's at Jane Fonda's workout. And I thought, well, you know, this is the bastone of the macho. And here we are in the dance set. and You know what? I, I don't know, man. I think I'm in the middle. I can do it all. I can do this stuff. I like music. I like what they're doing in dance exercise. Kelly, you would have loved to see how good some of the instructors at the Jane Fonda workout. There was like a handful, not everybody, but there was a handful. These people were so good. They were so pumped and great instructors and teachers and so in shape and all that stuff, but good leaders as well. And so I I, I got hired by Jane Fonda's, but I saw friends of mine I would spar in some of the rooms and they did not like that. They did not like, and I, I was in karate. So we would do some sparring and uh, it didn't work for me the, they didn't really like that approach that I had. So, but I learned so much from them. It was such a great experience. Even got to meet Jane Fonda at that point, um, just as part of a master class and, and, you know, thanks to Joni got to meet her in a different way later, but, uh, But that was fun. And that was kind of the new age, thanks to the Fonda workout and all that she brought in 82, 83. So when I met Joni, one of the first projects that she had me do after I met her on a July 4th workout, like a holiday workout, like many of us have gone to and just said, you know, I happened to see her. She came in late and was a very private person. And at the end of the workout, I was one of the teachers at this, at this particular studio. And, uh, I just said, you know, congratulations, Joni, you know, great show without really knowing much about the show, just little things about her. I'd watched her on another TV show in the Bay area called people are talking. She had a regular thing every Monday. She was the fitness expert. So, and, and I saw that show more often because it was on later in the day and it was really popular. People are talking at that time. And anyway, so I got to meet Joni. And anyway, she said she knew who I was, is what tripped me out, blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knew who I was and was complimentary and asked if I could meet with her at the TV station. So I did that later that week and uh, and that started a, a, a business relationship and then later a relationship with uh, Joni uh, and the Morning Stretch TV show.
0: Yeah, so many great pieces to that. One thing I do want to ask about, though, is because you had the opportunity to meet Jack Lalanne in the green room. Oh yeah, moment like.
1: Oh gosh, thank you. I got to meet Jack and Elaine. You know, Mm -hmm. not only Jack, little Jack. You know, he's as wide as he is tall. You know, he had the same suit. This is this is 1985, Kelly. I might just jump right out of my chair, but he's so he's wearing the same. U- uniform you know the unitard that he would wear on his tv show and uh so it was just a great honor I was starstruck to meet Jack lane what a a living legend and uh it was fun to watch him interact with Joni and shoot the bull and all of us talking in the green room but then they were uh you know who Kathy Lee Gifford was the person who interviewed because she was on uh, I think they were, they were actually on ABC. Good morning, America. They, you know, they were on all that, but I think I saw, uh, Jack with Joni on good morning, America and, and, um, Gifford was the host hostess. Now, anyway, that was really fun to see. I just watched it on the other side of the camera and, uh, Joni had a, a, quite a remarkable book tour. So there were many remarkable experiences and introductions all around the country. And her book was quite successful, you know, quite remarkable.
0: Well, I'm certainly always interested in in hearing the connection with Jack LaLanne and obviously know Elaine as well. But I also excited and was excited the first time you told me that you had met Jane Fonda because certainly she was the, the first for many of us into the realm of oh. fitness, Uh-oh. aerobics, even style of fitness right with the, totally. the leggings and the leotards and totally. all followed her
1: yeah she brought she was like an industry just like tiger woods to golf jane fonda to the fitness industry like i remember okay so i go to work on the morning stretch show the morning stretch show is sponsored by dance skin so i have to wear a dance skin i'm wearing dance leotards dance socks i'm like okay but Behind the scenes, I'm like, Joni, wait a minute. There's Nike. I've been working for Nike by that point. I've been a Nike model for two years. What about Nike? What about Reebok? Reebok was making a huge splash with their Reebok, you know, that white, the first white edition of their little white uh, aerobic shoe. Mm -hmm. That had come out, had been out about a year. They finally, like Reebok was major innovation uh, to make a long story short. I talked Joni into talking to Paul Fireman at Reebok and we met at the Plaza Hotel in New York and changed sponsors from Danskin to Reebok because that was more athletic. That was more with it. That was more 80s. And that's where we were trying to, you know, take the show. We wanted to take the show forward into the future. And Reebok really had a handle on it at that point. They were hot stuff in the aerobics world.
0: Actually as you're mentioning that um, and a couple of things that you've talked about already and that are in the book no. about about your one of your skills, one of your many skills is your foresight. You seem to have a way of seeing potential and then making the connections to make that happen. The story that you just shared being a great example of that another story that you share in the book was when you ended up going out to San Quentin, which I know was a vision that you had. Tell a little bit about that story.
1: Well, the show was going great. By that, I mean, it was growing in syndication. We would go to NAPI, which was the National Association of Producers and Television Executives, go to that convention in the 80s. And you know who the star of the convention was just between you and I? because we're like old friends now, Kelly, we've been talking for an hour, <laughs> was Oprah Winfrey was this star of the convention. She was mm-hmm. a Chicago girl that was, I think, through King World, which I didn't know anything about at that point. But uh, Oprah was the biggest thing at the convention. You know, We were all just looking at her like, oh my gosh, look what a person can do with the syndication. Because you sell your show, you sell it to different markets. In other words, ABC, NBC, CBS, Different people could buy you in different cities. So they could slot you at 5:30 a.m. or 9 30 a.m., whatever was best for them. Mm-hmm. That has a lot of that has changed in morning TV. But Joni, to give her credit, really just you know, had a great vision with starting that show. And I was just lucky to come alongside and help her in the ways that I did.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So one of the opportunities that Joni got in the morning stretch, KPIX CBS in San Francisco got was we were we were we were there we were at happened to be at the station and joni gets a call from uh the california department of corrections (laughs) the california department of corrections huh and gets takes the call and it's actually somebody for the warden of san quentin prison describing a situation that had occurred at the prison a murder had taken place on the exercise yard and the weapon had been a barbell. So in response, they stopped exercising. They stopped allowing uh, the, the inmates into the prison yard. And it was down to one day a week, recreation, Saturday mornings only. And I know that because I asked when I finally got to meet the warden, Joni and I went in for a the cook's tour with the warden and the warden's protective detail. Um, uh, we asked, you know, uh, we asked if we could create a show for them could we uh could you could you build a mock cell we just do it in the cell i mean that's the only thing that applied in my mind that was the only thing how could i help somebody an inmate in the cell unless there was some way to use the bars and use the towels and use the stuff above you below you beside you you know to to um to create productive time to create uh circuits and and two exercises five try to string ten exercises together now you have something um, so, so we went to San Quentin and took a tour with Joni and I'll never forget that tour because, you know, you see a woman, a woman, a, a pretty woman in a man's world. When you go to San Quentin, we went to the Bay block, which is, um, uh, max security and it's uh death row. It's where death row is. And it's a it's a cell that has literally about three or four hundred people in a five levels, and it looks out to the bay side. That's why it's called the Bay Block. So you can see these windows, and Kelly, it's really eerie. I'm the farthest thing from a prisoner, and it was really a trip to be with all these guards and a blonde woman, uh, you know, a, a, a an attractive blonde woman who is thin and fit and all that stuff, not wearing suggestive clothing, but heck, you know, anything in a dress is these, these guys are caged animals. Mm-hmm. And so we're watching these guys and all they have is their little mirrors. They have a four by four little mirror that they watch. And you're watching all this through five rows up and I'll never forget it to make a long story short. And there's a, it was quiet for a while. It seemed like respectful, but then it was banshee wild and hooting and hollering and, lot of real gritty stuff said.
0: Yeah. Oh, I imagine. And you share in the book a little bit about how you were able to help them for a while and then, um, you know, didn't end up being a long-term thing, but you were able to be there for a little bit and and offered some things. Yeah. You know, there's an element in your book and it's, and it's an important part of your book, but it, it just, as I'm listening to you talk today, it keeps coming back to me and, and it's this element of don't quit. Every one of these stories required some gumption, (laughs) whether it was because you were running away from home or stopping your your post office job, which was secure to try something new, being on TV, going to San Quentin, meeting stars and celebrities, like all of it it takes somebody that's willing to try and willing to go for it. And so you share a poem in the book called Don't
1: yeah. Quit. Yeah. Yeah. The poem, see, the poem is so much more than a poem. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, the road you trudge is all uphill. Your funds are low. Your debts are high. You'll want to smile, but all you can do is sigh. When all that junk presses down on you a bit, rest if you must. Just don't quit. Until uh, i uh, meeting Todd, uh, Todd's really been helpful. He uh, is a younger person, 20 years younger than me, but he has just developed his thinking and his spiritual side is, is remarkable and humbling. And I'm nowhere near him, but he's got me sort of on the struggle and, and I'm, uh, I'm a better person because of it. Mm -hmm.
0: Much better. You and me both, you and me both, for sure. You wrote this book now, not 10 years ago, not 10 no. years from now. You wrote it now. Right. Why now?
1: Because yeah. I have support now. I have support. I'm in the right place. It, I always just wanted to sort of tell the story of for the benefit of others, to serve others the, if they feel they're a zero, But if they try really hard, excel at something that is they are passionate about, the people they might meet in their life that will grab them by their bootstraps and help lift them, lift them and carry them. That's that's my experience. That's why I feel so lucky to have met. Thanks to Charlie, he tucks me under his wing and he says, it's okay, these guys are going to want to know you. So he walks me up to a group of professional football players Joe Montana, Steve Deberg, Randy Cross, other players on the team, and and uh, and Charlie's comfortable with it. He says this guy's special. You need what he knows, and let's get to it, and stuff like that. And and I was just lucky, Kelly. I was just fortunate. I'd done some of the preparation, but I was literally picked up by my heroes.
0: Mm. What a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. What a beautiful
1: sentiment. That's why I hope to share it. That's why I have a passion to share this. And I dream, Kelly, that I believe someone will want to see this uh, as a movie, as an ESPN type 60 for 60. It's a beautiful story of laughable losers Mm -hmm. to Super Bowl champions. And I got to watch this progression. And it was just a turn on just to turn on as as a fan but also as a man mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. it was
0: it was cool well, I can't wait to see where it goes I, mean, I we'll see. I'm with you I think there's um I hope somebody listening has an idea and if so please let us know we'll uh, see. but we're gonna let the book get out there and and yeah, do indeed to do kirk if somebody would like to get the book where can they where can they get it
1: well the book's being sold on Amazon and Kindle. Thanks to you, <laughs> Kelly and Greg, thank goodness to know you. Um, and I have a website now. It's called zero once again, zero once And that's a website that gives you a little background on the book and on me, and you can buy the book and I hope to add elements and service. And as Todd would say, add value by gosh, it just might take me a little while, but I, I will hope to do that.
0: Yeah. Keep building on it. Keep building on it and let it grow. I'll make right. sure that that gets into the show notes. Kirk, it has been an absolute pleasure working with you and getting to know you. I I love your story. I love your passion. I love your energy. And I'm I'm very happy to have had the opportunity to get this book together with you.
1: I hope we get to do it again, Kelly. I'm going to keep thinking of things in my life. If I can just scratch up another good story, I'd love to work with Scripter because thanks to you and to Greg and the fact that Todd mentioned you and I listened to his podcast and learned about you and Greg in the podcast, that's how I, that's how, was I smart enough to write it down? No, I had to call Fitness at Quest 10, say hi, Jen at the front desk Hey, can I get Kelly and Greg's info and stuff? And that's how I finally got it together to reach out to you. And I'm really lucky.
0: Same here. Same here. Kirk, before we finish up, I always like to ask our guests what the term, it just takes one, means to them. As the title of the podcast, I think it's always a profound answer. So I ask you, what does that phrase mean to you?
1: It just takes one. just takes one. I would say that is one choice. It just takes one. It does just take one to make a difference, to make an impact, to change someone's life. I'm hoping to be one through the service of this book to change one person's life. Uh, thanks to my past, I've had the experience of changing more than one but if through this book if i can change one person's life but you know kelly i'm getting discord with that too because i've learned i tried to sort of just take one just i can do it if not now when if not you who i've screamed that in the mirror on various you know performances or events or things you know it's me it's me but it isn't it's really it's um It's about the Lord and what he has done for all of us and what we can just learn in our own way to shine that light and be a light instead of some sort of sucking engine. Instead, reflect that light and give it up, give it away and, and, and feel good about it. That's, that's my take. That's pretty odd, but it just takes one. I think it's better with, with your mentors and your, and, and other leaders to surround you, carry you sometimes.
0: And your heroes.
1: You know, got to have them. Sure hope to have them.
0: Kirk, thank you so much. Best of luck as you go forward. Please keep in touch and thank you again.
1: Thanks a million, Kelly. Appreciate you. Thanks.
0: we come to the end of this episode, I just want to reread the final stanza of the poem that Kirk shared with us during that conversation. It was so powerful, and I think it is a great summary of what Kirk's life has been about and what his message is to all of us as he brings this book out into the world. It goes like this life is so strange with its twists and turns as every one of us will someday learn success is like failure turned inside out it's the silver tint on the clouds of doubt if i can do it you can too don't quit such a great message and a fun conversation with kirk today i hope you'll go out and find his book on amazon or on his website i'll make sure all of that information is included down in the show notes but for now it's time to wrap this up for today thank you as always for joining me here on it just takes one and stay tuned for more interviews with our authors coming soon